And Hogan, you know why we don't beat up my best friend? Because I can't. And neither can you. But with all due respect to Chris Benoit and to Steve McMichaels, there's only four people in this ring right now that have ever felt war games. That's you two, and that's us two. So we're not asking, we are demanding that we take those two slots in war games. Uh, a newcomer, Chris Jericho, will be here in action. A lot of people talking about him. Oh. Wait a minute, what's up? What's this? What's going on up? Oh no. What in the world? Oh my goodness. Not again. You know who that is. Ted DiBiase. Without a doubt. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to August 1996 for Volume 2, Part 2 of this month's show. Just a very brief, cold intro. Uh, if you have stumbled across this show, uh, you might be wondering where our review of Hogwarts is, amongst other things. Uh, that and the news can be valved in Volume 2, Part 1. Uh, this, we are continuing on from after Hogwarts. We're going to start with the TV review that you're going to hear in a sec. Then we're going to review the Clash of the Champions, and it's basically the second half of this month's Move on to August the 12th for the next edition of Nitro between the pay-per-view and the clash that has three days later. Tony Schiavone breaks down the title change of the belt defacing from Saturday's Hog Wild. First up, the teams of High Voltage and Rough and Ready team up to take on the Dungeon of Doom in an 8-wan tag. Dungeon get a quick win, afterwards Rough and Ready turn on High Voltage. Sting and Luger come out to challenge the NWO. After no response, the two head to the back and there's yet another Glacier video. Dallas Page gets a win over the Renegade with the Diamond Cutter. Backstage, you hear from the NWO who run down their successes from Hogwild. They hint at a fourth man being behind the camera and say they'll face Sting and Luger on their time. Conan and Jim Powers have an even contest. Conan gets the win using the ropes for leverage on the pin. Post-match, the champ declares his loyalty to WCW. Benoit takes on a debuting Ron Studd, easily giving up 18 inches in height. Studd gets up uh, over early before getting cut down. A superplex from Benoit gets the win. Gene asks Benoit about Dimalenko after the bell. Benoit commends him but builds the horseman's agenda, starting with the giant. Our two starts with Harlem Heat facing the Steiner brothers. A very strange ending where again Sherry holds the feet for the cover, but a bumbling Colonel Robert Parker, who has no reason at all to be in the ring, fell over the cover to give Rick and Scott the DQ win. Ultimo Drago takes on Rey Mysterio Jr. and Eric Bischoff is in heaven calling kicks. Mysterio hits a beautiful over-the-top senton to the outside. The Dragon sets a powerbomb. Mysterio rolls through with a sunset flip to retain the Cruiserweight title. Flair and Savage have a Flair and Savage match, but to save face, Hogan comes out and blasts Savage with a chair behind the back of a downed Randy Anderson, and Flair retains the title, with Nick Patrick counting the fall. We see the booty mount beat down from Hogwild. Hogan comes out to talk to Mean Gene. He name drops General Custard. Yes. He calls Flair that stupid little man, calls Gene a chump, and then leaves. The outsiders come out of the crowd, and Luger comes out without Sting. He then appears to give him the upper hand. Another strange ending as Nick Patrick walks out of the ring and the horsemen run up, run in to head off the outsiders. The replay shows Patrick pulling Hall from a stinger splash. Flair cuts the promo, matching up the NWO with the horsemen, and we fade to black. <laughs> oh man! You know, all of a sudden, 
Now they act like we're important, you know? Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe the audacity that these guys have. I mean, we're on New World Order time right now. I mean, you can make all the challenges you want to, boys, but hey, we're in our gear, but we'll do this when we feel ready. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. We beat them at Bash of the Beach in a six-man. We did what we say we do at Hog Wild. We beat them, and the main thing we accomplished, Hulkster took their belt. You notice it's NWO belt now. Tell these two punks something. I heard some whining and crying about Nick Patrick. You guys blaming your loss on a referee. Senior. He's a fine referee. Senior Don't blame it on official him. Nick Patrick. You lost. Fine referee. You lost at Hog Wild. And you want to fight us? You're going to get to later tonight. That's right, Joe. And you, you know, lose you again. Know, you know, I we disagree every once in a while. You know, it's okay. You don't have anything to prove. No. You know. And all of a sudden, you know, they didn't want to stay anywhere around. Now they're calling me, calling my agent. They're banging on the door. I, I got tired of getting up and answering the door here a minute ago. It's the same old thing. Now they want their chance. Now they're ready. Well, you know, if you guys wanted to have a good workout or something like that, maybe you could have fun with those punks. But the thing is, the thing that really tears me up is they haven't figured out who the fourth and fifth guy are. I mean, we've given them all the hints. Should we bring them in? <laughs> Stay there. Yeah. Stay there. But what are they going to do? I mean, they're not even smart enough to figure this thing out. And uh, now, you know what? This belt, I don't even like the look of this belt. Thing's too heavy. It hurts my shoulder when I'm going through the airport. You know, we really need to talk about a design. You know, maybe our own belt. You know, we can melt, melt that down. They got, you got that buddy in Tampa, right? Yeah. You got that buddy in Tampa melt that down. First thing down. needs to go. First thing we need to get rid of is this thing. Because that giant <laughs> cleaned his clock. He's a loser. And Sting and Luger, you losers too. You know? Can I, can I use your line, Hulkster? Go for it. What you're going to do when Hulkamania, the Outsiders, and the New World Order runs wild on you? You know, that line's okay, but it's not, not fitting the occasion because, I mean, you know, tonight... They want you guys to climb the ring. You got your gear on. You know, I was I was arguing with you about that earlier. You know, I was really you know I didn't want you guys to wrestle each other, and I, I definitely don't want to wrestle you guys. But to get back in the ring with Sting and Luger, I think the last few WCW fans might might just go ahead and disown them if you embarrass them again, which we will. Yeah. So maybe what you're gonna do is right. You know, I, I'm really confused now. I'm upset about this whole thing. Don't call us, we'll call you. Absolutely. Stick around, boys. Call right. at you. Now, this Herculon sits pretty nice, doesn't it? Might have to get one of these in the uh, house. Huh? Where's any of that birthday cake left? Get that coffee I have, going. I have a booty man bring it in. <laughs> God. <laughs> hey, the Rust-Oleum doesn't come off either, boys. Love, love the shade. And we come back out of the TVs to review the Clash of the Champions. Jeff, you kick us off with the results. All right, so Clash of the Champions 33, or XXXIII, for those keeping track in the Roman numeral world. Uh, it kicked off with Rey Mysterio Jr., the Cruiserweight Champion, defeating Dean Malenko. VK Wall Street defeated Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Conan defeated Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono by his side. Medusa defeated Bull Nakano with Sonny Ono by her side. Eddie Guerrero defeated Diamond Dallas Page to win the WCW Battle Bowl Championship ring. 
The Giant, with Jimmy Hart, defeated Chris Benoit, who was accompanied by a woman and Miss Elizabeth. Harlem Heat, the tag team champions, fought the Steiner Brothers and Sting and Lex Luger to a no contest in a triangle tag match for the WCW Tag Championships. And in the main event, the U.S. champion, Ric Flair, with Woman and Miss Elizabeth, defeated Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the world champion, by disqualification after interference from the, you guessed it, Outsiders. Jeff, in an era of two-hour live TV shows on a Monday night, is there anything special about a two-hour live TV show on a Thursday night? Um... I think if you give the illusion away that to the fans that you're giving them a free pay-per-view, uh, that'll, that'll always engender goodwill with your fans. Um, the key there is that you have to give them a quality product that, you know, stands out from your Monday night show, um, which I don't know if they did that here. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it's perhaps even more the question that, you know, we had all the TV last Saturday, we had the night show on Monday. They, they you know... They didn't really promote this show beyond, you know, mentioning a couple of matches, beyond, you know, the, the big story was Hogan and Flair, which, you know, they did some promotion on, but they didn't really have time to go any further because they couldn't really promote Hogan and Flair until they got through the pay-per-view itself. I guess it just, you know, you, you could perhaps do this kind of show, but it needs two or three weeks to where you can kind of look forward to it. What do you think of the show, Jeff? Um, Really, like, what, what you spoke to just a second ago about, the number of shows that they were running this week. I mean, I think the goal for WCW should be to put together a really good show in a singular term, uh, let alone three or four. I, I thought it was a, I think every match was crunched for time because they were, you know, they weren't going to go into an overrun here. Um, it, it advanced some storylines. I thought there were two uh, pretty decent matches. Um, but overall, my main my main takeaway that I think we'll talk about later is I really can't believe that a month and a half into this this Hogan turn, they've already given away Flair versus Hogan uh, on free TV, which I thought was just with with very little promotion, as you noted. Yeah, I, I've got a lot to say about that. I think I'll probably save it for when we get to it. Um, but yeah, I think suffice to say, I probably agree. Um, yeah, it was it was okay, but I you know back. Even a year ago, I mean, that's, you know, Nitro's not been around a year yet. Even a year ago, a two-hour live TV show felt like an event. And not to say they've done a bad job with Nitro, but now Nitro's every week, and it's two hours, and it's live, right? And this is just like a, it's like a Thursday night Nitro. I think that was what it was. And it, it didn't even, it's not like, I'm not just saying that because it was a two hour live show. It even felt like a Nitro. Had a lot of matches, none of them particularly long. Um, you know, it was probably, as if you were calling this a Nitro card, this would be a real high end Nitro card. Um, but it wasn't any more memorable. And I kind of feel like in an era of a pay per view almost every month, and, a, and an era of a, a live two-hour TV show every week, there's just not really much room for a Clash of the Champions, unless you can make it substantially different. And, you know, we've done Hogan and Flair to death. I think there is the one thing to say about giving away Hogan and Flair so quickly. You are right, but it's not like we haven't seen this match a lot. Um, and as to contradict completely what Bobby Heenan says later in the show, no, Bobby, it is not unimaginable that we would see Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair in an arena where the fans will be predominantly pro-Flair. For one, they weren't. But for two, they've been predominantly pro-Flair for the entire two years. But that's definitely something that we'll come to. Anyway... 
Tony Schiavone touts nine matches for tonight's show. That may not be a selling point. We don't get one of them, so there's just eight. Uh, we're live from Denver, Colorado with Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and for the first match of the night, Mike Tenay on the call. Uh, Jeff, an interesting follow-on from what we discussed in uh, part uh, volume part one of this volume uh, was about mentioning Mike Tenay becoming a full-time commentator, because from what I'm reading in The Observer, they may well be looking at doing that. What do you think about that? Um, like, I think he's probably their best uh, play-by-play guy. I mean, I mean, I think Shivani gets a bad rap because he's he's got, you know, a couple masters to serve by selling the product and making sure the main guys are over, especially Hogan. Um, and, and he's also got a couple, he's, he's got to keep Dusty and Bobby in tow as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of an an, an unenviable position. Ugh, that was a, a mouthful. Uh, I, I think Tanay is his passion comes across. He's clearly a student and a, a a fan of pro wrestling, and he can really help get these guys who are less uh, known in North America over and really sell them as these these wizards in the ring. Whereas someone like Bobby Heenan might just try to go to the old joke book, or Dusty might just I don't know what Dusty would do, just, you know, some sort of, you know, indiscernible hyperbole. Um, but I think Tanae really adds to their credibility. I do think he has to measure his ability to get too technical because not everybody knows what a tope pescada, you know. Like, I mean, sometimes he, he does have to not make sure not to condescend to the casual fan. Yeah, it's almost like on, on a scale, we've got Shivoni who's somewhere in the middle. We've got Bobby Heenan, who could be somewhere in the middle, but doesn't really give a fuck anymore. We've got Dusty, that doesn't really make any sense. And then right over the other side of the scale, we've got Mike Tanay, who's just being completely up and down, calling all the moves, giving all the backstory. I kind of feel like if we could drag Tanay in two or three slots into a bit more of a, just a well-rounded commentator. I feel like he'd be the best they've got by some distance. But yeah, I, but equally, I think at the moment as well, we should be said that his role is come on and tell us about these guys. I think if you told Mike Tanay, call a two-hour show, he might be a different version of Mike Tanay than what we're hearing. But given that Heenan seems to have just checked out mentally, I don't really have an issue if Tanay joins the commentary team full-time. I think he'd be I, a big I did fan. make note, I, I did make a note with, with, with Heenan on this card. I felt that when he's working with Tanae, he does pick his game up. And maybe it's because Tanae exudes passion in a, in, you know, a potentially passionless, uh, company at times that has, uh, kind of divested Heenan's passion in itself. I noticed that Heenan seemed a little more alive in his commentary with Tanae. So I think maybe that pairing will reinvigorate him or hopefully could do that because Heenan is, you know, when given the opportunity or when he wants to, he is one of the best heel promos in wrestling still. I mean, he's, he's oh, excellent. Yeah. It's just, it's just a matter of, you know, is he going to run out the single or is he just going to, you know, cash his check? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll start the show with you in a minute, but I think it's just a case of, it, 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 you need a motivated Heenan and we don't always have that and you also need Heenan in front of a good product and we don't always have that I think we've seen Heenan in this last year at times show flashes of why he is still one of the you know still one of the best commentators even though you know a commentary version of Bobby Heenan is nothing on the manager Bobby Heenan but why he's still one of the best promos even probably long past his best is that when he needs to be he can be great the problem is is that I get the feeling that he knows his paycheck is going to come come well May, and so when you get to a paper you like last month, he will just start doing a Vincent Mann impression because he because he can't really be bothered to take it seriously. Anyway, on with the show. <laughs> 
Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio Jr. for the WCW Cruiserweight title is up first. Mysterio starts with a dropkick and a hurricane run. We get a leapfrog crossover. Mysterio then hits the springboard moonsault off of the second rope. Malenko goes for a powerbomb, but essentially just keeps going with Mysterio and drops him neck first on the top rope. He follows that with a brain buster. After the break, Malenko throws Mysterio over the top rope. Mysterio then catches him and jumps back onto Malenko for a near fall. Mysterio comes off the ropes again and Malenko just chucks him in the air. Mysterio hits a running, moon, running somersault sent on onto Malenko on the outside. Malenko whips Mysterio towards the guardrail, who does a moonsault off of it and barely gets there. The guardrail gives out and Malenko, the guardrail gives out and Mysterio got quite lucky there as Malenko had to catch him, saving money on his head. Mysterio hits a Frankensteiner for a near fall. Malenko takes Mysterio to the top, does an amazing top rope gut buster where he basically throws Mysterio in the air, lands on the mat with his knee out and lets Mysterio land on his knee. That looked fantastic. Malenko covers Mysterio, the referee counts to three, but Mysterio gets his foot on the ropes. The bell rings, but the ref immediately sees his error. In the, mele- in the melee, Mysterio hits Malenko with a victory roll and retains his title. Jeff. Yeah, um, aside from the ending, I thought it was a really, you know, the in-ring work was pretty great technically. Um, I still think that Dean Malenko, as good as he is, uh, as proficient as a, of a wrestler as he is, he puts across zero character or persona to really elevate what his technical proficiencies really are. And I think that when you work with somebody who's just such an absolute babyface like Mysterio, I think it's incumbent on Malenko to really elevate his heel game and to put across a lot, uh, to, to really help get the guy over. And Malenko just seems to be in this middle of, of the, uh, he, is he a tweener? Is he a is he a heel that doesn't have personality? I just I feel like he's doing himself a disservice by not trying to be a little more of a character or having the opportunity to be more of a character. Uh, I thought Tanay was absolutely tremendous uh, putting these guys over, and his knowledge is is is, is commendable, and he it does help tell the story. Um, and uh, my my main note for this whole match, I mean, the finish was was silly, and it kind of advances that whole like. Oh, are the refs all, you know, fallible? And, you know, it just, that, that kind of took, took this match down a bit and obviously messed with the flow. But I, I just, my note was Mysterio is an amazing, incredible babyface. And my first, like, I just saw money on him. And I think if you just build the entire Cruiserweight division around him and market him as like a superhero, they could just print money. Like just showcase him and his, his awesome moves. He's such a distinguishing, uh, you know, he, he just, he's so distinguished from the rest of the roster. You can bring in guys from around the world to showcase him in matches every week. You protect him. You keep him away from, you know, the TV title, the U.S. title. That's his title, and you just build an entire division like they, like they are doing around him with guys like Psychosis. Um, and I think, I think it's just – I think he has the potential to be a breakout star in that for that division. Maybe, like – like there's a world title and then there's the world cruiserweight title. I think he's I think he is the neck the kid's next favorite superhero. Yeah, I mean we've we discussed it in part 1. We've also discussed it in the past about Malenko. I think we're largely in agreement. I think it's it's more the point that he needs to be something. Um but watching this match more than most, you're like, my god, if this guy had a character, he'd be so good. That top rope gut buster, which admittedly, to an extent, on a guy like Mysterio, cannot be as hard as it would be on some other guys. 
That was phenomenal. He put him in the gut bust position, threw him in the air, landed on the mat, stuck his knee out, and then Mysterio just dropped onto his knee. It was superb. Malenko, he's down. We said that before. Character thing is an issue. We said that before. I'll, I'll say people that, that long discussion. As for Mysterio, I'm in agreement. I think there's, there's an issue with a guy that is under a mask in the United States. Um, Jeff, when was the last guy in the US that really got over under a mask? I hope I'm not thinking, it's all really obvious. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have Mil Mascaris, who's obviously like the most token, like, I, he's the, ma- he's the most over mask guy. You can go to Mr. Wrestling 1, Mr. Wrestling 2, uh. How, how far back are we going, man? We're, we're going late 70s, early 80s era. Right. I mean, uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA would have been about, and I, I'm probably, it would be early 80s, or mid 80s, probably, so. But really, yeah, the mask the mask doesn't get over that much. I would also say that you know even Mil Mascaris, while his body was incredible, he did not do the spectacular things that Mysterio did. Uh, I'd say Liger also when he was doing his his shots in WCW working Pillman, um, I forget which Super Brawl it was. He you know he's always been able to get over uh, because he's such a spectacular flyer. So I I think I think Mysterio is an outlier here, uh, much like Liger would be, and much like Ultimo Dragon. I think where their moves are so original that you know the the fact that a lot of masked guys haven't really got over in stateside probably since Vince's expansion in in the in, in eighty three eighty four. Um, I, I think it's I think it's time to say like this is this is a different generation. Much like you know the WWF's new generation, these guys are just in a league of their own. Oh, I'd agree. I think it's just more perhaps the case that it might be a different generation, but the audience is still similar to what it was five, ten years ago. You know, based on based on where wrestling was five, ten years ago and where it is now. You know, we've had a good year in terms of TV ratings are going up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I still feel like we're still probably largely in front of the same kind of audience we were five, ten years ago. And they, you know, I think it's going to take, I think it can be done, but I think with a guy that presumably doesn't speak very good English, is quite small and he's under a mask, you're going to have to put a lot behind Mysterio to get him over. They can, it's more whether they will. Onto the match, really quite good. Um, you know, these two will have better matches, I would imagine. Um, but equally, you know, we always said a thing about it on TV. You, you, you can and should only go so far. Um, but the action was really good. Uh, Mysterio's great. Malenko, if he could get any kind of character together. And Malenko, I, I said it last time, Malenko and ECW, all right, it was a pretty simple character, be the silent heel. Um, but if they, just if they invested a bit of time in either of these characters, I feel they could be so much more over. Because imagine wrestling this good with characters fans were invested in. That's that's main event level draws right there. Um, it feels like the wrestling's good enough. It doesn't feel like the characters are there yet. Some of that will come with time, but I think some of that needs to come with WCW putting some time behind these guys. Two hours of Nitro, Saturday nights, etc., etc. There should be enough time. But a really good match, I think. Um, we move on. We're still getting vignettes for Glacier. He will debut on Nitro at some point. It hasn't happened yet. The debut was on uh, was on Saturday night taping, so there's that. Uh, we come out next to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who gets a huge amount of pyro. Uh, he's out next to the few that will never end against VK Wall Street. Wall Street thinks he's outsmarted Duggan, who capitalises by ramming his head off of the turnbuckle ten times. Even Duggan's USA shtick isn't over, over as all normal. Wall Street pulls Duggan down off the top onto the top rope. 
Duncan hits a scoop slam, then uh, goes to tape his fists. The ref tries to stop him. Wall Street, in the distraction, grabs a handful of trunks and rolls him up for the win. Jeff. Yeah, my first note is, haven't I seen this match about a million times this year already? Um, yes. I'm, I'm an unabashed Duggan fan from his days in Mid-South working uh, with Bill Watts. I think his character is still quite over, and the chant maybe is even more over than Duggan. Um, it's getting Wall- a bit tired, though, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, Wall Street, he's a solid, solid enough worker for a big guy, but I think he's been pretty, you know, overexposed the last, whatever, six or seven years, uh, you know, between his runs in WCW and WWF. The match was dawn plotting, silly finish. Uh, hope this isn't a trend for the night, is, what, is my note, my note, because, you know, the Malenko finish was kind of spotty with the ref, and now you have this one, and I'm just like, you know, if the if the next angle is well, refs are you know it's not just Nick Patrick who's you know might be maybe corrupt. Maybe it's just the fallibility of the job. Uh, it's it just it, it kind of makes it less uh, genuine experience as a wrestling fan. Yeah, this takes me back to two and a half years where you're on those dusty roads book pay-per-views and shows where you'd have seven matches and the first six all ended in nefarious finishes um this show i don't think is much different actually yeah it was all right um you know you're kind of like can we not just have three or four minutes more of elenco mysterio do we you know i I like jim duggan you know not for the same reasons you do i just think that there is something in an era where a lot of people try to really overcomplicate wrestling duggan is a real throwback and that he's a really simplistic gimmick and there are some things to like about that but he is getting a bit old and the act's getting a bit old and you know, we talk about Mysterio and Malenko being a future. I feel like these two are the past, um, and that feels like a weird juxtaposition one after the other. Because it's not like they're presented as the past, they're presented as the present, and Jim Duggan's not the present. Not anymore. Anyway, we had an interview with the Nasty Boys, who are a bit tired of the same questions from Oakland. Their loyalty stands with the Nasty Boys only. Next up, it's Ultimate Dragon with Sonny Ono versus Conan. Mike Tanay's back. Conan ties up Dragon in a variation of Indian Deathlock. Dragon drop kicks into the outside. Sonny starts with some kicks to Conan. The referee sees it but doesn't award a DQ. Don't know why. Dragon hits a does a moonsault to Conan's back, then follows that with a magistral cradle. Dragon goes for a German, actually bridges over it, rolls over it. Conan rolls over again uh, and then pins him with a handful of tights. Uh, Jeff, that'll be three match finishes and three quite Screw ones. Yeah, and, uh, you know, keep this logic in line. Conan uses the trunks on a heel to win after Dragon's heel manager attacks him while they're all the while subtly alluding to the fact that Conan might be going heel. Uh, kind of felt like some clueless booking that neither showcased Dragon's incredible abilities or established Conan as anything of a threat. Um, my main kind of commentary here was, how does this get anybody over? Conan isn't a flyer, and he's not going to really be able to emphasize Dragon's strong point. Dragon doesn't really work a heel style despite being presented as a heel with Sonny Ono, so I don't understand what who, who really benefits from this match, um, especially a match this short. I really don't know what Sonny Ono adds to the Ultimo Dragon. Uh, he's another cruiserweight who I think you could promote like a superhero and really distinguish that division from anything else on the card, in the promotion, or offered by Vince and WWF. Um, but they just, they just seem, you know, hard-pressed to keep him as this kind of generic heel with who doesn't really act like a heel. It just, it just felt very flat. Yeah, you basically just 
dissect, you divided the match into chunks and said they all sucked. Um, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Um, we've had the Conan discussion before in the last few months. I've got no idea what they're doing with him. Cause Conan, like, to me, seems like the guy you'd really want on the roster. He can speak English. He is, you know, he's Puerto Rican, right? He's not Mexican. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, but you know, he has a Mexican background to the point where I think he'd be over in front of Mexican fans, which helps. And it's like, he's a good worker. He's a good talker. He's got the whole thing. And yet they seem to have no idea how to book him. Um, and they, they, they just regularly consistently put, put him with guys that aren't going to help him. Like we, we said a few months ago, stop putting him with that undercard guys, put him with guys that can build him up. And then they put him with Ric Flair, not the guy that's going to do that. Now they're turning him heel. All right. Um, but they put him in a match with against the heel as a babyface with a heel manager, and then he wins it with a handful of ties. I, I, I had no idea. Um, it's another in a long line of what are you doing with Conan? Because I feel like there's something there with Conan. You know, it's not like there are times we watch guys, you know, get get pushed. It's like what are they doing? I understand why you'd push Conan. There's a lot to like about him, but you've got to. We need to take more than this, would be my, my takeaway. Any further thoughts on what I said, Jeff? No, I think uh, this is the type of guy that Vince McMahon could probably do a lot more with because he knows how to showcase new talent, or at least yeah. one point knew how to showcase young talent. Um, I think that, you know, again, you're putting him against a guy who's like half his size and he has to cheat to win. Uh, I just, yeah, nothing else to add. Yeah, it's funny, like, when they were talking about the fourth member of the NWO, I, you know, it'd be a left turn, because it seems like the NWO is for the ex-WWF guys, but I feel like if they'd have brought in Conan six months ago and done a really good job with him as a babyface, him as the fourth member, right, had been a real nice addition. It would have been a bit awkward, but, you know, it's there. Uh, But anyway, yeah, not not a great match. Poor finish, not long enough, etc., etc. We cut backstage to Ice Train, he's doing a CompuServe live chat. Scott Norton wanders in for the side and attacks Ice Train. It's a bit shit. Uh, we come out next for Randy Savage versus Meng, but Savage isn't there. He's injured. He's actually injured because uh, of the attack by Hogan. That, was, that wasn't worked. Uh, Meng wins by forfeit. We then get an in-ring promo from the Dungeon of Doom. Sullivan says he was saying all of this stuff about Hogan 18 months ago. The leprechaun runs around for a bit and the segment doesn't really go anywhere. All right, the Dungeon of Doom. Yes, the yeah. Lappy Man, Hugh Morris, the Barbarian, Ming, Jimmy Hart, and you, Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I read something to say to you, Oakland. You know, I don't like Randy Savage, and I spent my whole career hitting people with chairs. But they knew where I was coming from. I didn't praise Hulk Hogan for a year and a half. I told it like it was. I said he was no good. He was self-serving, and he wouldn't face you face-to-face. I didn't call him the immortal Hulk Hogan. I didn't bow at his feet. I didn't ride in no limousines. I didn't take him from Minneapolis to a bigger town. I didn't take him from that town down to WCW. What do you have to say for yourself and your friend, the immortal Hulk Hogan? All right, well, I did kind of lead the bandwagon, and, uh, and, and Hulk Hogan was a great, great man, but something snapped, and I think these outsiders might have contributed to it. But here's a guy that was on top, and I mean, million-dollar contracts all over the place. And then, of course, things like Thunder in Paradise. I don't think he was ever a, a real serious threat to Sir Lawrence Olivier on that. Then the big television ratings on Monday night. You know about that on Nitro? Oh, uh-uh. my God. Wait a minute here. He wanted to take credit for that. Look at this manpower up here. We are the strongest force in the WCW. I am tired of us worrying about the NWO. I am tired of us worrying about the Four 
Benoit. Let me tell the horseman something, and especially Benoit. You know, a lot of people have been saying, this Wolverine has dropped me in my head, and it isn't the neighbors, if you get my drip. We're the last stand for the WCW, not the horseman. I get the drift. I thank you, the Dungeon of Doom, Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and company. We are live in Denver, Colorado. Jeff, what was this? This is the Clash of Ah, uh, I think this was Kevin Sullivan getting to do a pseudo-babyface promo that'll sell a ton of tickets. Uh, he must be really good friends with the Booker, because yeah. when I when I look at where he is on the card compared to a lot of the talent they have, you know, a lot of guys aren't getting mic time, and here's here's Kevin Sullivan, who was the guy who tried to kill Hulkamania and was in some of the probably some of the worst matches and the worst feud of last year, or last couple years, and here he is saying I was right all along. Meanwhile, the fans and myself included are shortchanged by not getting to see Randy Savage, which is a major letdown. Um, I know he was injured, but they did kind of advertise this match, and I just I love Savage. He's an electric personality still for all these years. Uh, and then we got a stable like this uh, Dungeon of Doom. They're just so bush league. They just these guys shouldn't be anywhere near the NWO. And here they are cutting a promo saying, you know, we said we said it all along. It's brutal stuff. I mean, it's just. The Sullivan stuff kind of all feels brutal and painful to me in, in 1996. Um, I mean, it's just, I don't understand what, well, I do understand, but I don't think there's any reason, of logical reason why Kevin Sullivan should be this high up on the card whatsoever. I'm not sure there's a logical reason why he should be on the show. I mean, I know we've had a discussion before about Sullivan. I know he used to be something in the past, but in 1996, he offers just nothing for anyone. He's not a particularly good promo. He is a awful wrestler. I mean, I know he's he's been around the block. I know he's old. I'm not saying he's awful because he couldn't do it. I'm saying more because he can't anymore. Um, he offers nothing. He has that stench that Ted DiBiase had around him last year with the Million Dollar Corporation. You know when they try to get you aside about the Million Dollar Corporation? It's like, nah, you guys all suck. The Dungeon of Doom of the WCW's Million Dollar Corporation, I think. Um... You know, they're hard to take seriously. They take up way too much time. And some of the guys, you know, like Meng could be really good. Like we've, we've, we've had the chats about Meng before. I suggested right around the time Meng kind of was first being pushed in WCW a couple of years ago, I suggested that Meng could be a guy that given a few months could have been pushed to face Hogan, also babyface champion Hogan at the time. And he's just here as a, as a guy in a, you know, in a, in something that people don't really care about. It's weird. Anyway, let's move on. Next up is Bull Nakano with Sonny Ono versus Medusa. Medusa goes for a big drop kick, but Nakano stops by the ropes and Medusa hits the deck hard. Nakano then just chucks her across the ring by her hair and then a second side. That looked real nice. Medusa hands out some slaps. Nakano just runs her over with a clothesline. Medusa goes for a crossbody, but nearly misses. Medusa goes for a sunset flip. Nakano just sits on her. Uh, Medusa kicks Nakano off the top rope, then goes for a splash off the top herself. But Nakano moves and Ono takes the bump. Back in the ring, Ono gets to kick Medusa from the apron. Medusa moves and a very faint kick connects with Nakano. Medusa rolls her up and wins the match. Uh, Jeff, I think that's four for four on the bad finishes. Yeah. Um, the match wasn't anything to write home about. I don't think it was long enough to write home about. Um, I think if given the time, they've, they've shown in the past that they can have a really good match. Uh, it's also incumbent on Heenan not to be totally goofing on the match to get over and, because no one's getting over if he's just there amusing himself. So, I'm gonna put my fantasy Booker hat on for a second, since you recommended that maybe if Conan had been pushed properly, I think the next member of the NWO 
should be Medusa. I think she checks all the boxes that, that, first of all, she's the woman's champion. She has that infamous WCW debut after she ditched Vince. She's got a great look, and they could book her, they could bring in talent, and eventually maybe build someone from WCW's side to eventually challenge her. But she could be, you know, the NWO's world heavy women's champion. She could be one of the the cool bad guys, and I think that would really refresh the division, her, and keep in line with the narrative. Man, that's a good idea. Um, Yeah, I I almost kind of like that for the sense that she can and should work with the women. Not that there are really women full-time on WCW. They they do have to ship them in. But almost as, uh, you know, she can antagonize the the male baby faces and the guys can kind of stand behind her. There's almost that angle you could play as well. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. X WWF woman. Um, good shout. Thoughts on the match? Yeah, it was, it wasn't long enough. Uh, a little, the finish was clunky. Uh, yeah, I mean that my main thought during the whole match was she should join the NWO. So that's what I was paying attention to. Fair enough, fair enough. I, uh, I can't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, we get a backstage interview with Oakland, Flair, Woman and Elizabeth. Flair says, the names don't change, it's just the years that change. Hogan, it's me and you again. Hogan, you know why we don't beat up my best friend? Because I can't, and neither can you. Next up, it's Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero. Page pushes Guerrero over, which ends up firing up Guerrero. It's a lovely head scissors. Guerrero charges into the corner and hits his shoulder crunches into the ring post. A side side from Page gets a two. We unsettle him for what I'm guessing is going to be quite a long headlock. And it was. Eddie takes down Page by the legs. He then hits a slingshot sent on for a two. Page hits a sit-out powerbomb for a two. Heenan does another Vince impression. You've only called him out on it about as well as you can do without mentioning it directly. Guerrero hits a frog splash from the top, and that will do that. And they're saying that with that, virtually Guerrero wins the Battle Bowl ring. Shivoni actually calls it his first title. Man, imagine the gall to say that. Uh, Page goes to shake Guerrero's hand, but only uses that as a way to hit the diamond cutter. He chucks the ref off the top, then hits another diamond cutter. Chavo comes out, DDP shoves him away, and then hits a third diamond cutter to Eddie off of the top. That third one didn't really look safe, as he kind of hung him off the top rope. Drove him down, and Guerrero kind of ended up going down nose first. That was a bit ugly. Uh, Jeff, thoughts on this match? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, Eddie Guerrero is just a really impressive technician in there, and uh, the size disparity kind of exposed Eddie, because he was, he's such an incredible worker, but, I mean, he was making all pages look, stuff look excellent, but he's really undersized there in, in a match with, with Page. Um, yeah, you know, the Diamond Cutter's really over, he's a cool heel, uh, Guerrero got the win, I'm uncertain if he's, you know, he's beating heavyweights, but they're pushing him kind of as a cruiserweight, and then he gets, you know, squashed with three diamond cutters or two diamond cutters or whatever it was after the match. They bring his nephew Chavo down. I don't really know what they're doing uh, with really either of these guys. DDP kind of feels like a cool heel. He's got the kind of new ring gear, the the shiny, leathery pants. Like, he's got stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I think... He, he, I think the Battle Bowl ring is, is yeah, it's just, uh, that's awful. That's just, there's no credibility to that. But I think as like a TV title champion or a, a maybe stretching it, maybe like a U.S. champion, I think DDP could really do some entertaining stuff. He clearly works hard. Um, and, you know, he does have a past with, you know, the Diamond Stud in Vinny Vegas. So 
there's always that potential, and uh, he could be the buddy Jack Roberts there uh, in that triad, potentially. Yeah, that wouldn't be a, you know, I maybe wouldn't unbound him as number four, but I'm assuming the oh, group's no. going oh, no, yeah. to group's gonna get a bit bigger beyond that. Um, he might be, you know, they, they, they've got to watch the more guys you add, the more diluted it gets, but he might be a guy that, as you say, with the history with those two, could be a decent addition. Um, but yeah, like, we, we talk about Malenko, who's a great technical wrestler with no charisma. I mean, Paige obviously isn't the worker Malenko is, but he seems to have a lot of it down. Like, he's a good enough worker where he can have an entertaining match in most cases. He may well win worst match of the year, but, you know, you get in the ring with Booty Man for 17 minutes. It's going to go down like that. Um, he's entertaining enough as a heel, and with a guy like Guerrero, it's just going to work. Um, the match, you know, like most of these matches on this card, wasn't particularly long. It was good. It wasn't any better than that. It was one of the better matches on the card. Um, but the, I like the diamond cutter as a finisher. I maybe wouldn't do it off the top rope because it looks like he's going to kill someone. Um, but other than that, you know, good stuff. I, I think on a on a card where you know, it felt a bit up and down, um, this was a nice little match and another one where you went, ah, we maybe could have borrowed a few minutes from another match and this would have been better. But I think more the point, what I said with clashes before, sometimes you want a clash that just teases a match to be on pay-per-view. I wouldn't have any objections if this was 10, 12 minutes on pay-per-view next month. We get an impromptu interview with Holly. Hollywood Hogan, he challenges Oakland after what he said about him. Hogan says Flair, in all of his glory, couldn't lace up Hogan's boots. 13 times is an unlucky number. Only one man will be the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Only one man will be the Michael Jordan of basketball. Uh, that that didn't quite work, Hulk, but yeah, anyway. Uh, we will next to Chris Benoit, Wickleman and Miss Elizabeth versus the Giant. Benoit, they try and take his jacket off. Giant gets in there and hits a very nice drop kick. He follows that with impossibly good choke slam. And one, two, three, twenty seconds after it started, it's over. Um, Jeff, I quite liked it, but I kind of feel like anyone could have probably been in this spot and it didn't need to be a member of the horseman. Yeah. Um aren't they trying to make the giant a baby face? Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, my, my note is, aren't there two dozen, there's a lot of rhetorical questions actually regarding this match. Aren't there about two dozen guys that could have done this to get the giant over without devaluing? I don't know that many of them could have taken a choke slam as good. I, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure some could, but I don't know how many. I, I think maybe like an Eddie Guerrero or a Chavo Guerrero or, I mean, any of the cruiserweights. Um, I, I, I mean, honestly, I think if you, if you don't even, if you look at some of the throwaway matches they're doing on Nitro with, like, Jim Powers, I mean, here you have Chris Benoit, who's an up-and-comer, who really should be a guy who, if he is a horseman, they should be booking and protecting and having him look up, you know, like he's one of the elites. And I get that they kind of had it be like a schmozzy. He was – they were taking off his, his vest, and maybe there were some shenanigans there. But, you know, it didn't really jive with the whole WCW-NWO feud to begin with. Doesn't get giant over. Doesn't help Benoit in the least. Seems counterproductive. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they're going to rationalise it by saying, "Well, he, he got distracted. You know, he, he you know, giant caught him before he was ready, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I guess. And it's look, it's not like you can't get Benoit back up. It's just more a point of, eh, couldn't couldn't someone else have been in this spot? Like you know. Um, it was a pretty awesome choke stand though, and I'm still a big fan of the giant, even though it does feel like he should be going babyface, but they haven't really 
gone down that path quite that much this month as I would have expected. He's still cutting quite heelish promos. All right, he faced, um, you know, he faced Hogan on the pay-per-view and he faced Benoit a heel here. Um, so there is that, but you know, this is, this just felt like an odd match in amongst the show that didn't really feel like it needed any filler. Um, it was almost like they wanted a match on the card so people would watch and yet they never actually really promoted it. So what was the point? I guess. Anyway. We're next to the Starter Brothers, Frick and Scott versus Sting and Lex Luger versus Harlem Heat with uh, Book T and C Ray with Carl Parker and Sister Sherry for the tag titles. We start with Scott and Booker. Booker levels in with a big sidekick. They go to the top. Scott dumps Booker T on the top rope. Luger takes a run up on the apron and just runs Booker over. Luger gets in and unloads on Stevie Ray in the corner. Crowd are getting into this. Rick Blind tags in and then levels Ray, then levels Luger. That gets some booze. The ref deals with Luger. Ray hits a lovely sidekick on Rick as we hit the commercial. Back from the break, Sting is in with a chop off of the top. Sting hits a big press slam on Booker T. We get to Sting against Scott. Scott goes for a shoulder tackle, then a crossover. Sting then just drops Scott neck first onto the top rope. He then comes off of the top with clotheslines, and Nick Patrick gets quite angry. Scott hits a double underhook powerbomb, but Luger breaks up the pin. The heat watch on. Luger runs Rick over with a clothesline. Scott hits a belly-to-belly on Luger. He comes off of the top. Luger catches him and then tries to put him in the torture rack. Rick knees Luger's knee into the, uh, and the match just breaks down. Booker T hits a big Harlem psychic on Scott. They're the only two left in the ring. Here come the outsiders. Scott hits a Frankensteiner. The ref, Nick Patrick, counts the two and then decides to call for a DQ because the outsiders are attacking the guys in the aisle way. Harlem Heat win the match by DQ. I don't know if we're ready or not, but Nick Patrick, after what... I don't blame him for being hot. What was your call up there? It was a disqualification for outside interference. What do you think it was? Where was the outside interference? Did you watch the same match? Did you not see the outsiders come down here and attack these guys on the floor? Did they get in the ring? No, they didn't get in the ring, but they interfered in the match. Any rule book that's in print today for wrestling, if you look it up, outside interference is a disqualification. You know... Those men never even got into the ring. As a matter of fact, I don't think they even made it within 30 feet of the ring. That's a good point. They never got in the ring. Which brings me to the one point that I want to get across. What makes a referee great is to be able to see two different things happening at one time. And I've just proved to you in the entire wrestling world that I have that ability. I was in the ring. That's an unfortunate break for the Steiner brothers now. Don't get me wrong. But I had to watch all the action. Now, I don't want to have to get hauled down to the WCW offices again for this. If you have to review it, then review it. Wait, I, wait a minute, I, Nick. I followed the book to the T. But, Nick, a lot of people are pointing fingers at you right now for what's happened here in the last week and a half. Well, I know there's been a lot of unfortunate incidents take place here in the last week and a half. Okay. Well, I, I, I will I, respect I am totally your, innocent. WCW re- all the way, Gene. I'll respect your judgment. I thank you very much. Oh, by the way. I couldn't help but notice those nice Armani suits and everything you've been getting lately. Looks very good stuff. What do you mean? We've got more of the clash. Oakland questions Nick Patrick. Patrick actually has a good point. He says, what what makes referee great is being able to see two different things happening at the same time. Oakland says he couldn't help but notice the new Armani suits that Patrick has been receiving. Jeff, thoughts on the match first? Um, I was really looking forward to it. Uh, I liked the subtle story that all the teams were working, uh, you know, to win themselves. So there was dissension amongst the babyface teams. Um, I thought Heenan and Shivani did a really good job at selling the match and the logic behind why these teams were doing what they were doing, which is refreshing uh, for a WCW commentary during a match. Uh, the match itself I really liked. Uh, it made all the teams 
look good. It saved the titles for the Heat while, you know, making the Steiners look strong, and it kind of set everybody up for feuds down the line with the Outsiders. So it, it served a purpose to advance the angle. Um, I'm not too certain. The one thing is that, like, Harlem Heat at this point come across as a really fresh act. Uh, you know, their presentation is they're cool, badass heels who, you know, could could potentially really just go babyface at any time because they are you know, they do have a really cool factor to them. But then they're being followed by Colonel Parker and Sherry, which just again it detracts that kind of there's that there's that WCW logic where anything cool has to be accompanied by something that's gonna be less cool. And I, I, I see the Colonel Parker character that kind of feels like a Colonel Sanders character from KFC and it just seems kind of cheesy and dated and, and very gimmicky and, and it just doesn't really go with their gimmick. Um it's almost I like they think that Harlem Heat won't get over unless they've got someone by their side. Yeah, like, unless you want to keep them away from doing any promo whatsoever, I mean, at that point, I think there are better alternative managers than, than you know, Colonel, than Robert Fuller, you know, Colonel Parker, or Sherry. I mean, Sherry at this point also, like, I, I don't know what she does at this point now that she's with him and Harlem Heat. It just feels like it's it's too much going on for the act. Um I also made a note that Scott Steiner, while he's continuing to look just like something out of a comic book, uh, he's awesome. But when you listen to what the camera and the mics pick up when he's screaming at Nick Patrick during the match, he is such a heel. And I think, like, I just I, – I mentioned it earlier about, about the Hog Wild cast, but, uh, you know, I'd keep the Steiners away from Hall and Nash as long as possible, and I, I would literally just put them over as heels. I think they're believable – let them be heels and just run roughshod over everybody and then have the WCW people like beg them to come over and help them save, you know, WCW from the NWO, especially in a tag situation because the Steiners are just, I feel like they have such credibility and they're, they're over, but their work is, is just, it's heelish. And, uh, you know, I think down the line, that would be a really smart move. Yeah, uh, you don't need to really to sell me any more on the idea that the Steins are really, really good. Um, they are. Um, I, I, I agree though. I, I, you know, them as baby faces does feel a bit weird. I mean, I, I get a thing to an extent. There is always the thought that well, they are going to get cheered probably as heels anyway. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, I mean, they, I kind of feel like those two, you know, they could and have on Nitros previously worked Sting and Luger and kind of be a de facto heels and they wouldn't really need to change a lot. So, you know, I guess it's more, it's less about them needs to turn and more just about putting them against baby faces. Um, the match was fine. Um, it was, you know, on this kind of card, you're sort of waiting for the, for the finish to happen. Um, and it's also one of those matches where they're probably not going to give away a clean finish against one of these three teams on TV. Um, as for the Nick Patrick stuff, uh, I guess I enjoyed it a lot more than the Nick Patrick stuff from the pay-per-view. Yeah, it was better executed, I think, right? I mean, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something that in and of itself is shenanigans, make sure they're good shenanigans. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the, the finish to that tag match was just, I mean, it makes wrestling look bad, so you never want that, especially on a high platform like a pay-per-view. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. They did it right here. I had no problems with it. But again, if we're looking up and down this card, not a lot of clean stuff going on. And, uh, I think you want to make sure you save your shenanigans to parcel them out throughout the night. So when they happen, they actually matter. Otherwise you risk overexposing it. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's more about, it's not, well, I suppose, I'm not really disagreeing, but I think it's more that, particularly, it's not just shenanigans to get out of a finish. This is shenanigans to push a storyline that started last week that will continue presumably for some time. And it would stick out more if it was the only dodgy finish on the show, and clearly, obviously, it wasn't. Um, but, and there's also the question that Patrick is probably one of the better promos on the roster right now. Do you think? Oh, that was me not agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, no, yeah. To each his own. I, he, he, he's good. Maybe I would did it. But, you know, they're, they're, they're putting him in decent spots, and I feel like he's he's saying the right things, and he's saying them in a very convincing way. And that was the thing. The one thing I really liked about this finish was that it was a way that could extend the story that they're telling, but he had a point. And that's the thing. With all characters' heels, it works when they have a point, and he had a point, and it kind of worked. Um, but yeah, I guess more the point, we've got guys phoning in promos, and this is Nick Patrick as a kind of fresh character, if you like, doing some good stuff. He's in short, sharp bursts, and I think he's doing it quite well. Uh, anyway, move on to the main event. It's Ric Flair with Woman and Miss Elizabeth versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the NWO World Heavyweight title. That's what they're calling it. Uh, last two times these two faced each other. The spray paint is still on the title, by the way, uh, as is the Giants nameplate. Last two these time faced Last time these two faced each other at the Clash, they broke wrestling viewership records two years ago. We mentioned that in the news in the other part. Hogan puts Flair on the top rope. Flair blocks the right hand and slaps him back. That was quite nice. Lots of stalling early doors. Flair ducks a clothesline, then unloads with some chops. Hogan actually shapes to hit a female fan in the crowd. Flair hits an axe handle from the top. Uh, as we said at the top, Heenan at one point in this match does say, imagine a couple of years ago saying that you have a match between Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair where Flair was getting cheered and Hogan was getting booed. We say, imagine, of course, that happened pretty much every time they wrestled. But there we go. Hogan comes out from the corner and he and Flair seem to not know what's coming next as they kind of just run into each other. Uh, Hogan sends Flair into the corner and Flair does the Flair flip to the outside. Flair hits a high angle suplex on Hogan. Hogan then starts hulking up. Hogan hits a big boot, then goes for a leg drop, but Flair moves. Flair goes to the figure four. Hogan rolls over it, but Flair rolls it again. Hogan grabs a hold of the ref and then just rolls him on the mat. Here come the outsiders. All three start stomping Flair out on the horseman. Sting and Luger run them off. They're saying Hogan game up, which is a throwback to two years ago when he submitted last time, or we sort of did. Uh, after the match, Flair and Sting get into a showy match. Dave Pender says Flair won the match by DQ, but Hogan retains the title. Jeff? Where to start here? Um, my first note, in bold with exclamation, I can't believe they gave this away for free. I think they have a lot with Flair as the babyface and Hogan as the heel. I think one could argue that this is the ultimate WWF versus WCW match in a new light with the roles reversed, uh, especially since the fans in the, the WCW areas really did boo the babyface Hogan. I mean, one would say that, that now that he's a heel. Sell that, but Pardon? I- I I don't feel like they feel Hogan versus Flair is this gigantic match anymore. I can't feel that wrong in thinking that, but I don't think they see Flair as this. Yeah, you know, I think they're you know they did it last week, but I think their big match should be Hogan and Giant. Now you're going to need other pay per view matches, um, but I wonder whether you know this was one of my thoughts going in was that, um, and I'll let you carry on a second, but one of my thoughts going into this match was when the match started, like Hogan took off his bandana 
and he kind of rubbed his hand through his very, very receding hairline, and they cut across the flare. I'm like, my God, these two have aged in two years. Like, these two feel like they've aged a lot more in the last two years than they were, you know, than two years' time should do. And I just wonder whether they'd look at flare and go, this isn't a main event act anymore. Sorry, Jack, carry on. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the... I think the counter there is much like with what we're going to get with Savage and Hogan. The roles are reversed now, so I think what's old is new again. I agree they're older. I think they have devalued Flair. My other my other observation here is maybe it would have done them justice to maybe let Flair go over in one of those matches two two years ago when he was working Hogan as the Bayface. Um, so he has some credibility because they really just beat Flair down over and over. To Yeah, his presentation as a main event act, does maybe suffer. I think he carries himself in a way where it, it, it doesn't really affect him as it would other people. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just, another thing that was totally undermined in this match was Flair's the U.S. champion, isn't he? And uh, I don't think they really put over the fact that he's their secondary champion. They didn't build uh, his title versus his title at all, did they? I don't know, it wasn't, but they didn't bill it like that in any way. No, and my other thing, I mean, I understand if they don't want Flair Hogan to be the big, you know, money match, but how many horsemen are there? Four. Uh, you know, if you're going to start the feud off, maybe you build and culminate with, Hogan versus Flair, rather than starting with it, I think that gives the rub to, you know, Benoit. I think that gives a rub to Mongo. I think Arn Anderson, as Flair's promo says, I, the reason I don't beat up my best friend is because I can't and neither can you. That seems to lead to a Hogan where Arn Anderson could be the babyface, which would be really cool for me, uh, because he's such a, such a, just such a cool guy. Uh, you know, when I look at the match, I thought the psychology of Hulk hulking up as a heel was, in a word, weird. Weird, because he, you know, isn't that like him and Ultimate Warrior, wasn't it that they were like feeding off the crowd and they were, you know, this, they were getting that second rush of adrenaline because that's what good guys get and he's doing that as a heel. It just, it just seemed, again, like a just counter logic. On that point, wasn't the whole thing that he hulked up, but he hit the big boot, but the leg drop didn't connect. Wasn't that the big reversal on that? Yeah, but the fans popped for it, right? Like they knew it was coming. It was it's the it's the trademark Hogan comeback. So when he gets punched three times and then stops and you know bulges his eyes and points, like that gets the crowd to give him wants, which I I don't think you want as he's gallivanting around like such a heel for the rest of the time. Um, yeah, you know uh, the match was was what it was. Um, I guess that with Savage waiting in the wings to get the next shot at a, at a Hogan feud, it kind of felt like a waste. I think they they would have been better served to maybe hold off on this rather than just do it. Um, and at the end, you know, it was really nice to see WCW coming down to the defense of one of their own for a change, um, because that just that's just one of my sticking points just in general for this feud. But yeah, it was it was okay. It was nice to see Flair seemingly get the win, but uh, I don't know, it was okay. Yeah, um, to attack those points uh, in the kind of reverse order that you said them, uh, I did like that the horseman came out, 
but I kind of feel at this stage we should be in a position where the horsemen are already there. Um, I know they're not properly baby faces, but it does kind of feel like the horsemen, you know, nobody should be surprised that the outsiders are interfering now. It's already in six, seven weeks. It's happened two or three times. Um, and it, you know, another cop out finish on the end of the show, but to an extent, I think we're going to get there. As for your qualms about Flair and Hogan, you're absolutely right. Uh, in the sense that it should be a bigger match, but I just don't think they think that way. I think. I don't think it's a case of them bungling a big match. I just don't think they think it's a big match anymore. I think to an extent they feel, you know, they've got Flair as the US champion. That tells me that Flair as US champion, he's the gatekeeper to the top, which is a bad role, but I think Flair's still got a lot to contribute at the top if they want him to. Um, and so as a result, I kind of felt like they just identified Flair and Hogan as a logical first-ish match in the sense that Hogan, well, should be able to beat him clean, he didn't. Um, but I feel like they look at Hogan and think we've got money matches with Sting, Savage and Giant and Flair's number four on that list. So we'll just make it a transitional match. And you, you've always got to remember they are trying to pop a rating with this. Now, you know, they can pop a rating and do a much better job of it. But I imagine they thought, crap, we need a main event of a clash six days after a pay-per-view and with one show between. I know, let's just put Hogan and Flair together. We've done that before. And one thing I said before, and to an extent this is true, one thing I said before is that they did Hogan and Flair a lot two years ago. Between the stuff with the Dungeon of Doom and Flair and all the stuff last year and all the Nitros they've had, they've done Hogan and Flair a lot full stop. Now the roles should be reversed. I don't, we say Flair's going babyface, we don't know. Um, I know the roles have been reversed, but I just don't think they see this as a big money match versus some others. So I think that kind of, I don't want to say explains it. I think that's the rationale they're using. Oh, well, I'm fine. The match was okay. Um, I, I, I like, there were some set pieces that wouldn't have been in the Hogan babyface flare heel match. Um, and I like that as much as you say, why is Hogan hulking up? I think to an extent, it's just part of his gimmick now. And I think it's one of those things that even though it was a babyface part of his gimmick, it's so part of Hogan, it should to one degree or another transition into his heel character. But what I did quite like was that it was a case of Hogan did miss the leg drop. And the theory being in that wrestling universe that Hogan, you know, wasn't able to feed off the crowd because they're not behind him anymore. And so as a result, he ended up, you know, he ended up missing the leg drop because he was didn't have the quote unquote same powers. Jeff, any thoughts on any of that? No, I agree with you. On, I, I, I get the sentiment of the missed leg drop. I just, I don't know. I, I just think there are more legs with, I mean, my first instinct is to say, you know, if you're going to have Sting and Flair and and all these guys teaming up against Hogan, I just think they do have a lot of TV to fill. I believe you're. I agree, kind of with what you said on all fronts. I just think that from a long term perspective, I feel like they burn something off too quickly. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree, but let's put it like this: Flair didn't lose cleanly. They're saying that Hogan gave up, or they say Hogan, they said Hogan gave up two years ago. Didn't really go anywhere. Um, they can, if they wish, go back to this beginning of next year. Um, trying to keep Flair otherwise hot um, and they can give it the proper build and I don't feel like this match being here will be a massive impact on that few being able to draw money again so I, I'll give them a pass by saying they needed you know this kind of was a show you know, this show 
all the pay-per-view, one of them felt really out of place. My suspicion was the pay-per-view was more out of place than this. But both of these shows together didn't help. And I think they thought, damn, we need a main event. And this was what they came up with. Yeah, uh, the match wasn't very good, let's say like that. There were a couple of things I quite liked, but overall, a bit of a letdown. Anyway, Jeff, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, I mean, it was an okay show. Felt they gave away too much, as I said numerous times. Um, I think they could have made money off of a pay-per-view of Hogan and, 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 and Flair with the rules reversed. But, you know, we've spoken to that and why they probably did it. I think they have to be very careful in protecting the reputations of both the Outsiders and Hogan um, because they're cool and he's not uh, as a heel. They still seem special and edgy, but the more they kind of – associate with him and his cheesy classic more cliched heel gimmick kind of dilutes their value in my opinion but uh overall you know uh four to ten this is an okay show yeah um i'd probably be in about a five you know about the same really when we get down to it um some decent action and you know it, this would have been a pretty good nitro i think we'll put it like that um some decent action some stuff that shouldn't have been there a frustrating lack of clean finishes but there's always the thought that free tv isn't always for the clean finishes it's for the storyline build i think it's more a case of you built your storyline in some matches but you had so many dodgy finishes that some of it didn't always make sense or didn't always get over as well as it should have done sorry um action was decent uh i liked probably as much as i disliked so i would give it a five out of ten We open up Nitro on August the 19th with Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street going surprisingly long to start. Hacksaw gets the win with a taped fist punch. Duggan lays into Hogan for his turn, even calling him Terry. Macho comes out to join in. Next up, Benoit beats Earl Robert Eaton with a dynamite kid flying headbutt. We get a new Glacier vignette, which sees him turning from Sub-Zero to Shredder. Backstage, we hear from Sting and Luger. They've got a surprise for Anderson and Flair. Disco Inferno does his best John Travolta impression, giving up the Macarena halfway through. He submits to a flashback from Scott Norton in a throwaway squash. Dean Malenko and Lord Stephen Regal have a fantastic TV match, a surprisingly fast-paced back-and-forth encounter, Malenko getting the win with the roll-up. Allison again delivers on the mic, responding to Sting and Luger. Flair takes the baton, and we kick off hour two. The Nasty Boys take on the public enemy. The truck gets his money's worth with a split-screen camera visual following all four men throughout the match. Sags gets laid out on the outside table. Rocco Rock misses a senton, lays out Johnny, and Nobbs gets the pin on Rocco for the win. Nick Patrick again gets some notoriety when he fails to stop Dallas Page from beating a down Charlie Guerrero Jr. with a belt. Randy Allison runs out to stop it before me, Gene Oakland questions Patrick. Patrick blames Oakland for the increased allegations levied against him. The American Males get a shot at Harlem Heat's tag titles. We almost see a repeat of last time when Bagwell reverses Booker's pump handle slam. Riggs nails Stevie Ray from the top, but Booker power slams Bagwell for the win and the Heat retain. The Horsemen come out to face Sting and Luger, but before they get started, Sting grabs a mic. Instead of going at it, Sting offers an invitation to team with Flair and Anderson at next month's War Games. After a long exchange, a done deal, and the four will take on the NWO. The Outsiders get another paid-for promo. They walk around Little Italy, subtly calling themselves the hottest property in the game, walking amongst the ruins. Hogan wasn't in this one. Savage chairs the giant pre-main event. Jimmy Hart gets in the ring, but Savage runs him off. The match never gets underway, Macho getting out as the dungeon run in the ring. 
And we finish up on August the 26th for the last Nitro of the month. A debuting Juventud Guerrera, son of Fuerza, takes on a younger Billy Kidman. Strange pacing with high spot cover kick out repeat. Juventud gets a top rope spinning Hurricane Rana for the win. Next up, an impromptu tag match with Bubba Rogers and the Taskmaster going up against Jumping Jim Powers and Marcus Bagwell. The Dungeon of Doom get the win after a questionable call from Nick Patrick. Sting and Luger talk backstage about their match later with Steve McMichael and Chris Benoit. Chava Guerrero Jr. beats Mike Enos after a failed interference from Dick Slater. Guerrero blasts Dallas Page post-match and Heenan and Oakland model the new WCW t-shirt. In the first hour main event, we see Mr. JL challenging Rey Mysterio Jr. for the Cruiserweight title. They get a good time. Mysterio gets the win with a springboard Rana. JL almost necking himself in the process. Woman winds up Mean Gene as McMichael and Benoit vow to prove themselves against Sting and Luger. We then hear from Macho, who questions how many marbles he's got left. Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out to his usual fanfare to face the Giant. Duggan goes for a slam, but through the crowd comes none other than Ted DiBiase. Duggan takes his fist, nails a punch, once, twice, Giant no-sells them both and hits the choke slam for the win. DiBiase singles one, two, three, four fingers to the crowd, mouths next week and then pulls up the fifth. Could he be bankrolling the NWO? Giant then says he has Macho's number and he'll be facing Hogan next. Rock and Roll Express go up against Arnonson and Ric Flair. Yes, it is 1996. Woman rakes the eyes of Robert as Ricky takes the pin from Nate. Alex Wright takes on debut in Chris Jericho, recently seen in ECW. Jericho's being billed as the Young Lion. The two mix well. Wright dives from the top but catches the guardrail instead of Jericho. As the count nears 10, Jericho asks the call for a no contest. The crowd bemoan the non-finish but respect the post-match interview shines both well. Squire David Taylor and Earl Robert Eaton try to back off for a match with the Steiners, but after a miscommunication spot, the Blue Bloods turn on each other and brawl to the back. Main event with Lex Luger and Sting against McMichael and Benoit. The Horsemen get the upper hand with a down Luger, but out comes Hogan. He backs off from McMichael, but the outsiders come in from the crowd, blast McMichael with a bottle of face, bottle to the face, and he gets spray painted. Hogan then tags Sting before the Horsemen run in. Flair gets Hogan to the corner, P2 gets sprayed in the eyes and in the hair. The NWO stand tall, and the crowd fill the ring with trash. The three takes to the commentary booth, Bischoff and F- Brian flee. The outsiders take the mic, Hogan sprays NWO over the logo, and the camera replays DVRC from, from earlier as we fade to black. All right, WCW Monday Nitro live on the air here, and I, I was back in the locker room area trying to pack some things away watching the remainder of the show, but this thing, Arn Anderson has gotten so far out of whack, i I got to have some kind of an explanation. So do these folks here tonight. He's got something to say. Let him say it. Sting, you said you had a surprise. Is this it? This is it right here. We can do what we've always done year after year, and we can come out here and beat each other up. Or we can just recognize the fact that there is a major problem right here in WCW. I know Nature Boy and the Total Package knows we can't trust you as far as we can throw you. We will never be able to trust you. That is a fact, and we know that. But I also know that all of your blood 
and your blood and sweat and tears have all been shed. No matter where your wrestling career has ever taken you, they've all been shed right here at WCW. You are WCW, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. The total package is WCW. I am WCW. In 30 days, 30 days, War Games is going to happen. War Games was created by the horsemen for the horsemen. We know that. But with all due respect to Chris Benoit and to Steve McMichaels, there's only four people in this ring right now that have ever felt war games. That's you two, and that's us two. So we're not asking, we are demanding that we take those two slots in war games. With you two. Look at that. Look at Flair. Is that, is that going what to happen? Let me through this run. You two with us two. This Let me get a couple of things straight here. I don't like you, and I don't like you. We don't have the same philosophy. Luger, you got a heck of a body. I mean, you're ripped. But do you know what War Games is all about? You see, you can't bring all these jiggling pecs and all these show muscles to War Games. That won't help you. But now if you bring all that power and dedication that it took to mold that body... To war games, well, that's a different story. Whoa, 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 Can you whoa. do that, Luger? You know, Double A, we go way back, as we all know. Our history is your history. Now, you want to make a comment about jiggling pecs or the body? You reach deep down inside, and you really think about it. And you nature boy too have the stinger myself in one match, including the war games. Have you ever, when you really think deep down inside? Ever left that ring saying we let up, we didn't give 100%. Ask yourself that question and you answer that in your own mind before you blow this whole thing off. Look at this. I, I get where you're coming from. Let me go to you. For one night, can you take that albatross out from around your neck that you've had your entire career? And you know what that is, Stinger. The little Stingers. Always caring what the kids thought. Always trying to do the right thing. Because I'm going to tell you, to survive war games or to win war games, you can't do the right thing. you got to get down in that gutter. And you got to reach into a man's soul and do something so violent and so painful that he looks into your eyes and says, I quit. This is not about pinfalls. It's I submit or surrender. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, and I'm telling the world, when I get in war games with the outsiders, they're going to have to kill me because the words I quit are never coming out of my mouth. Can you do that? Wait a minute now. Are, are you agreeing in principle to get together for That's this what it one sounds time like to me. Let me answer this. I can't even believe that you can waste the breath to ask me a question like that after what we've been through. Like I said earlier, WCW has not been a cakewalk for you or you. But I have lived the life of WCW. Remember that. Ask the Nature Boy if you don't know. All right, I thank you very much, Nate. we got to make it quick. I'm getting the wrap here. Let me see if I understand. You and the package want to team up with me and the Enforcer 
against the outsiders. Let me explain something to you. I know who you are better than any man alive. I know what you're about. If Mongo and Benoit, because I know you aren't as bad at Hogan as I do, buddy. If Mongo and Benoit will step aside, I'll walk the path with the enforcers side by side. It goes like that. Yeah. All right. But, uh, but it goes to Mongo and Benoit because we're horsemen first, brother. I'll tell you what, gentlemen, you're going to have to discuss it. Vote, vote on it. I don't know. What, what is your thinking on this very quickly, Chris? I've waited my whole life to become a horseman, my whole career for this kind of opportunity. Rick and Arn, you've never betrayed me. I'll stand behind your decision. Wow, that is a big eye, I believe. Mongo? Listen, Gene, I was part of the best team to ever play in the NFL. And I know what it's like to sacrifice. And if these two head honchos of the four horsemen say, Steve, this is the way it's got to be, I'm willing to sacrifice. But let me tell you what, pretty boys, I'm going to be watching. And if you don't hold up, you're into the bargain. What the NWO's done to you is going to seem like a day at the park. And Jeff, we move on to the final part of the show. For those people that have listened to Volume 2 Part 1 and Volume 2 Part 2 front to back, thank you very much. Uh, you'll be pleased to know neither of us are on Volume 3, so you're looking for a change of voice, you will get that. Um, let's do some discussions, basically all surrounding the NWO uh, to one degree or another. Uh, where shall we start? Let's start with the referee. Um, Jeff, this is an angle that has been played out in wrestling a lot. Um, I, I think to an extent, if they're going to try and, you know, they're talking about the NWO as this new promotion, this new company. And I guess there's this thought that the NWO needs to expand beyond just wrestlers. And as you alluded to earlier, beyond just male wrestlers. Uh, I, I think the idea of a slow burn referee turn makes some sense. Um, uh, but there's a lot of explanation they'll need to do beyond that. Yeah. I mean, I, my main issue with it is I, I don't think Nick Patrick's the guy. I would almost prefer they brought in a ringer like a year, a, like not a year out, but built a guy that they could then use as their own who maybe has a little more, uh, again, I think that cool factor is my main issue. I mean, they, they should have converted a character into a referee rather than a referee into a character. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you look back at some of the previous referee heel turns, uh, you know, they have, they do have Teddy Long there. I, I'm not so sure he fits in, but he, himself has done that referee to heel manager turn a couple of times now. Um, once in uh, the, the dying days of championship wrestling in Florida, and then he did it when he was a ref in the late late 80s before he joined Doom. Um, you know, I just think it's a, it's a slippery slope when you start playing with the referee because, you know, they're supposed to keep law and order, and I get that the NWO wants to distinguish himself as their own kind of brand or promotion or whatever they want, but traditionally a lot of those you know, referee gimmick things felt like they used to come from territories that were a little more gimmicky, tended to reach a little more, uh, kind of bagged off on legitimacy. So it's not my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, if they do it right and if they say, you know, we want an official, you know, NWO sanctioned referee to, so they have our vested interests, I get that. Um, but in the big picture, I just, I just see it as a, a lot of work for a little game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I think it's more, 
if the angle is is going to be more of the stuff we saw in the clash and less of the kind of stuff we saw on the pay per view, i.e., some more quite and the, the angle of Nitro wasn't too bad either. That was quite subtle too. I think if it's if you can tell the story well, it'll be good. But I just wonder whether you know if it's going to come down to just having a hokey heel ref it might fall down. But I think of the three main chapters we've seen of that story, two of them have been positive so far. Um, and it is nice that they are talking about the NWO taking over. And as I say, I feel like they're going to need more than just need referees. They're going to need people backstage. They're going to need people like Ted DiBiase. Um, the fourth member of the NWO, we think, uh, it's possible to end up being the fifth if they just debut Walton next week. Um, Jeff, uh, uh, my experience of DBRC is what we've done on this project, which is basically being the leader of a very, very dull faction. Um, but I know, and you have borne witness, uh, to DBRC as an effective as it comes heel. And I feel like this is a good move. Yeah, I... I love DiBiase. I think that the last probably four to five years of his WWF run weren't his finest. Um, and I think it kind of devalued him as a top heel. And, and it's, he, he wasn't really presented as, you know, he was when he first debuted with Vince or what he had done prior uh, in Mid-South and with the NWA. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they do, again, run the issue of what is cool and edgy versus what is kind of, seen as old and and less fresh. I think Hogan is less fresh. I think Ted DiBiase is less fresh. So I, I'm not necessarily against DiBiase. I know he can play an awesome heel. Um, not sure what they can call him because WWF seems to have problems with, you know, the identification. And I know for a fact that when DiBiase went to the WWF to become the Million Dollar Man, he had to sign in before he could even get the gimmick because Vince didn't want to give it away. That's how much he valued it. So I would assume that... But that, that is his to... name, right? Oh, no. Ted DiBiase is, is his name. Uh, but I, I think he'd have to be like priceless Ted DiBiase right. or, you know... It, it just... I When I see that and when I see where he'd come from with the Million Dollar Corporation, I don't know if that's the freshest take to add to Hall and & Nash and, you know, Hogan... Um, I don't know. I just, I think it, of all the components you want to add to the NWO, I think you want to be very selective. And I think you want to have, you know, the right ingredients to make the best recipe. And I'm not certain him as the manager is, is the right answer, but I'm not saying it's wrong. Like, I think as a worker, he was incredible. Um, he had an awesome run with Vince, obviously, until, you know, his back gave out. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm probably more indifferent than anything. I, I'm always happy to hear a Ted DiBiase promo. I just don't think – I think he is closer to a horseman and more regal than an edgy, you know, spray-painting jeans and boots and, you know, just a, a cool heel tandem. But that's that's just me. Yeah, I, I like the addition of DiBiase to the group because I think it's going to explain some things. I think it's going to explain that, you know, that they're having these commercials paid for by the NWO, not that Hogan – Nash and Hall are not wealthy in you know in storyline certainly well not they're not without um, but you know his gimmick is a guy from Wells so that makes sense I feel like it's a good addition but I wouldn't have him on TV every week I'd have him as the guy they reference 
Homer's the guy that's, you know, bankrolling everything and doing all that, but I wouldn't have him on air every week. Although I suppose if there is a concern about the group ending up being too cool, DBRC should drag that back in. I guess it's more of a question of is he negative even while doing so? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think he could play like a godfather type, you know, the like like you said, like he's the bankroller. I, I always just thought it was Hogan because Hogan's so rich. Uh, you know, you don't draw those gates for all those WrestleManias and, and come away with nothing. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think if you want to keep them heel, I just think I think you have a special invasion type act with the outsiders, and Hogan's heel turn is is so refreshing that you don't want to dilute it too much. Uh, but if you're going to run with them as heels, yeah, I think I think Deviously definitely keeps them heel. Yes, no, I, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, one final angle. For, in fact, no, one more thing to say for the angle. Um, Sean Walton as number four. Um, I, I, we, 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 we've spoken before, so we spoke last month about the next guy. I think the next guy, and you know, you, we could argue the next guy ended up being DBRC, although I guess, you know, if they both join next time, you could say four and five. The next in-ring act of the NWO, the guy that's going to be involved at Full Brawl, I know Waltman's a mate of Nash and Hall, but I feel like Waltman comes out and WCW fans go, I don't know that that translates. Yeah, I think he's a really good worker, and I think the one thing they will need especially if they're going to go WCW versus the NWO and, and have them really go. Like, the heels should never be outnumbered. So I think you're going to have to bolster that NWO side a bit. Uh, he is from the other side. He is from Titan. He is a good hand, a really good worker. So he, I think he could probably, if not take falls, take bumps for them. Um, from I have no problem TV, with him. Though, there is no cool factors to the one, two, three kid at all. Uh, no, but I think that that also comes from Vince's representation of him and, and sure. the limited knowledge of cool from Vince. I think if you had, you know, if you saw how Diesel was as a cool babyface, I don't think that would necessarily have gotten over as well. Um, I like uh, the one, two, three kids heel work when he was working with DiBiase. I think he has a lot of cool high spots. Uh, I think he's a really solid worker and bumper. So I, I like it. I think if, Realistically, if you want to have, if you want to go with the NWO, you're going to need guys that are going to take bumps. Hogan and, and Nash definitely aren't. Hall can't take them all. If Hall and Nash are going to be going for the tags or if they're going to be the US and the TV while Hogan's the world champ, you do need a couple more guys to potentially take falls down the line because NWO can't win all the time. So if you're going to add a couple people, I'm okay with them adding Waltman. Um, I think he's a good, I think he's a good enough worker. And I think, you know, if you bring the, if you, I, I think they should bring in Medusa because I think that would just be awesome. Then you'd have the world champ and the women's champ eventually down the line. I think they should have all the titles and then you have WCW have to, you know, watch this Independence Day, the movie level comeback against these, you know, invaders. Um, I, I even think they should have a sponsored cruiserweight, to be honest. And, you know, I don't know if one, two, three kids got the size for that, but, you know, imagine a Jushin Liger covered in black and white, uh, or, you know, them sponsoring, you know, an Eddie Guerrero. That would, that would really help him. Oh, um, Dean Malenko. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I like, I've always mentioned, I mentioned previously, you know, Eddie was an awesome heel when he was working in Mexico with Art Bar. 
don't know if Dean Malenko's got the personality for it. I, again, I think I think there's a balance between a horseman and an NWO. It's maybe it's almost like a Beatles or an Elvis type thing. You're either you're either one or the other. I think, and I I, I don't know if if categorically you can really slot those guys because he, he doesn't have the size. Is yeah, I I think they need a cruiser. I think they need maybe two more guys to take some more bumps. Um, would obviously just be I think would be really cool. So and it, she doesn't have to defend the the NWO women's title. Just have it and taunt them all, right? I mean, um, I'm not sure. I, yeah, sure like, a, I'm not sure, sure there is a WCW women's title yet. So it might just make sense if they introduce an NWO women's title. That might yeah, I, I mean, it could it could they could use the Battle Bowl ring for all I care. I mean, they, don't, don't do that. that. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many um, so many guys they could potentially go wrong with that I'm okay with one, two, three, Kate. I think of all the WWF talents they could have brought in that were available. I mean, they didn't really have many to choose from, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we are going to look back on this and we are going to say that the fourth guy was a downer because the fourth guy kind of has to be a downer unless they've got Bret Hart and. We don't think they've got Brett. If they've got Brett Hart, all bets are off. They've got Brett Hart, you know. But I, to an extent, I don't know that uh, as good a get as Brett would be, I almost feel like you get Brett into the group and then you'd have to take him out after about three or four months and break him off as a baby face. But that's by the by. They've got Brett Hart, all bets are off. Otherwise, there doesn't really feel like a number four that's going to be a big name. Um, unless it's a savage. But I, you know, that makes no sense at this stage in the game. So if it's probably a bit of a letdown, uh, I, I hope Waltman's got more in the tank than what the one, two, three kids show because otherwise I think that's going to be a big, big mistake. Um, in that he's undersized. You know, you talk about, we brought in guys from the WWF that were big names to one degree or another. Walton, you know, he had, he had, he had moments, but Walton was an undercard act. You know, you're bringing in a guy that either the audience knows and knows at a certain level, or the or the audience doesn't know and go, "Who is this guy? He looks like a bit of a dweeb." That's a problem. Um, but we shall see. I mean, I, I think there is one thing you said that Walton should up the work rate in the group, and if they want to do a big workers' main event, they can do Walton and Hall, no problem at all in a tag match. I think that'd work. The final discussion point of the month brings us to the 26th of August Nitro. I think it's 26th. Uh, the, it was the last one of the month. Anyway. The main event angle, uh, we had a match between, I think it was Benoit and McMichael against Luger and Sting. Uh, and it basically broke down with Hogan coming out, uh, a distraction off McMichael. Hall attacked him. Hogan got a spray paint out. And as they had been throughout the entire show, they were spray painting the truck. Hogan got a spray paint out and started spray painting NWO on people's backs. He then spray painted a skunk line through Ric Flair's hair, which looked pretty cool. Um, very, very up and down the NWO in that certain angles have worked really well, others not so much. But I think like the big angle with Hall and Nash at the end of June, which I thought worked really, really well, um, when the NWO and the Outsiders are creating havoc, it's generally pretty compelling. Yeah, no, I think they, I think as, as, as far as you get away from the, the general presentation of a pro wrestling product, the more edgier it, and 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 
and original this whole comes across and legitimate it comes across. And I, I feel that's, that's where Hall and Nash really excel. And when you do stuff like this, it does feel a little more authentic and it does come across as, as more original programming and original entertainment. So yeah, I really liked it. Um, I mean, I just kind of cringe every time Hogan says something because it just kind of feels cheesier than them. Um, he really likes spray painting stuff. I thought that was kind of funny when he was just going around everywhere. Like this is the first time he'd ever seen a spray paint can <laughs> in his life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was cool. I mean, I the, the, the bit at the end where they get to the uh, the commentary stage where they got the Nitro logo on fr- in front of the table, he spray paints NWO in really small letters across the front. It's like, come on, Hulk, we could have done better with that, I suppose. Uh, I mean, Hogan's so rich, he probably can pay people to spray paint his, you know, his NWO things at home. That's why I didn't think that Teddy Biasi was the money guy because I <laughs> I just naturally assumed Hogan had you know the scratch for that. Um, yeah, I I. I, I liked this a lot. My only thing, my only hang up is you don't want to make the WCW guys look too much like, you know, kind of goofs. Um, it's nice to see, you know, when they get run off, the NWO gets run off, but, you know, it's just three guys. If they don't have baseball bats, they should eventually take a beating. You don't want to do that right away. You want to protect them. So you want to make sure it's either even odds or they're cheating immensely. So I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Just, to watch out for because you don't want the WCW guys always to be laying and you don't want it to be a six to three beating with the appeals leaving, you know, Victoria. So no, I, I, I seem to remember you a couple of months ago, you were talking about, um, you know, I think you were talking about that. And I said at the time, you know, you've got to get the guys, I don't say over. I don't think you need to get the guys over, but you need to get build them up as a threat. But they need to get that balance right. Um, I think Fort Broad would probably be a good place to do that. Um, you know, Savage isn't in the match, but I suppose that might be a place where you could build up Savage, pinning one of them to set up uh, October. I don't know what to do with Savage now, actually, on that show. Um, but yeah, I, I think so far so good. But we're going to need a response and I think next month is a time for that response um, you know I, I think we're yet to see a good full brawl uh, war games match in this project this will be the fourth we've reviewed I think this one has got by far the best chance when you consider some of the acts we've seen in previous full brawls I'm looking at you know, nasty boys and, and a Harlem Heat pre Harlem Heat in previous those matches and Shockmaster uh, we've seen some of those. This is the most talented full brawl lineup we've seen in this project. It's probably the most talented full brawl lineup since the early days for war games. War games lineup since the early days of the war games back when you had kind of early editions of the horsemen. Um, I think, yeah, we need this response, but the angle's really good. NWO creating havoc are really, really good to watch. I just feel like sometimes they'll do that some weeks and other weeks they're really, really somber. And it's, you know, they want to build up a nuanced group, but it's like nuance when it doesn't work, doesn't work. And that's really where I think we're at with it. Anyway, end of the show, end of the part, end of the volume, end of WCW for this month. Jeff Parker, Big, big thank you for joining me on both of these month's shows. Oh, thank you very much. I always have fun doing this. Yes, I would uh, I would ask you to promote Twitter, but as we found out last time, you don't want to, which is fair enough. Um, a big thank you also to Stuart Brooks, who, who chipped in, and also to Del Muir, who uh, provided all the TV reviews for this month, which saved me having to 
go back through and take meticulous notes on all their shows. Thanks very much, Adele, for that. Uh, yeah, you can find me. What have we got this month? We've got two other volumes. So this is kind of, we've got four parts across three volumes. Uh, volume one is SummerSlam. I think I'm going to be on that show now. We're taping that tomorrow and you won't very well hear me on that. Uh, SummerSlam in volume one with WWF. Volume three, uh, the two Chris's take you to all the ECW action. Uh, if for some reason you have started with part two of volume two of this month's show, you can go back and listen to part two, uh, part one of volume to uh, in WCW this month reviewing the Hogwild show and the action that led to uh, this show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bambi. You can find the show on Twitter at Wrestling20RS. Everything else is on Wrestling20RS.com We've got over 150 hours of back episodes online now. Boy, that is a lot. Uh, we've got you know, across, I think, 80-odd episodes, something like that. So plenty to get your teeth into. You just found out about us. Uh, and that'll do that. Wrestling20RS.com, other volumes this month, etc., etc. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2, Part 2 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for August of 1996. And until next time, goodbye.